Awesome. Well, again, Lynn, thanks for hopping in, man. We're really appreciative of you um, coming in tonight, especially in a busy off season for you. So how has the, how have things been for you so far as the Cardinal season's concluded, the off season's been in full swing? Oh, things have been um, interesting, you know, as the, the Cardinals go here, um, trying to put together the team for next season. Um, still, I guess, actually, by the time we go to spring training, it'll just be about a year for me being in St. Louis. Um, so, um, it's been good. It's been good. Uh, I was having fun listening to some of the um, live stream earlier as uh, before I hopped on. So, but uh, yeah, it's been been a cool off season just as far as you know, still settling into St. Louis and getting used to how the Cardinals are doing things and um, trying to figure out what this is going to look like for next season after you know, obviously a uh, out of character season for them. Yeah. So I believe you're covering the Royals before this. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, so what has that transition been like over the last year coming from covering Kansas City for a while, St. Louis, and especially during such an odd year like this? Like of all years to pick covering the Cardinals, you pick probably the worst season to start. So like what what has that transition been like just life-wise to St. Louis, but then also covering a team that's just been all over the place? Uh, St. Louis, I mean, it really, I mean, because I've moved around a bunch. So, I mean, to go from Kansas City to St. Louis, you know, is probably the one of the maybe not the shortest, but one of the closest ones in terms of just like, you know, I lived in, grew up in Massachusetts and uh, worked at the paper in upstate New York, Pennsylvania, um, Salt Lake City, Kansas City. And so, to go from, you know, I, I didn't even change states this time. So this is, you know, it's, a, yeah. it's like, yeah, I just d- drove a couple hours. So, um, but it has been um, interesting just, you know, dealing with, um, you know, you get to a new sort of newspaper covering a new team and like, you know, new division, like you, you don't realize how many things you sort of were, you got used to until you start doing everything mm-hmm. different, you know, whether it's, you know, like um, the teams that we used to always see in the division while I was covering Kansas City and like, you know, that, that group of prisoning writers or the, um, you know, the the play-by-play people, all those people you got to get get to know, um, switching it over and get to new, know new people here in St. Louis. So it's all been fun. It's just been, um, you know, uh, sort of like, I guess, like you say, a little bit of a transition, just getting to know some new people. Um, that's why certain things like, you know, like the winter meetings a couple of weeks ago is always cool because everybody's in the same place. So you get to see everybody um, who you've sort of, you know, seen here and there throughout the season or over the years. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was a, uh, an interesting year. Um, it seems like by the time we got to July, I started making sure I pointed out to people like, you know, well, you know, you know, it wasn't my, it wasn't, you know, just me. <laughs> you know, I, 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 by, by the time we got to the end of the season, I'd be like, well, you know, the, the Royals actually had a decent record a couple of years that I, that I covered them. So I'm not taking the blame. So That's awesome. Oh, man. Well, it's just so good to have you in St. Louis, Lynn. You put out some incredible stuff. Um, and now as some long-term viewers of the show will know, or long-time viewers will know, Andrew is the Otani super fan. Josh is the Glasnow super fan. And I am the resident Sonny Gray super fan. I'm the president of the Sonny Gray fan club. <laughs> and I've just loved the stuff that you've been putting out lately about him. You've written a couple articles since he signed. Uh, I just want to ask, for, for those who haven't had the chance to read your work, what made Sonny Gray such a great fit for the Cardinals, both on the field and off the field? 
Well, I think on the field, the, the fact that he's a um, you know yeah. an innings guy, guy who you, who they know they can count on for quality starts. Uh, I think last year was 184. It was 184. One, it was somewhere between 182 yeah. and 184. I think is what his inning total was. Um, he's a veteran guy, so you have an idea like you know what you're going to get out of him as opposed to like you know one of the younger guys that you know um, hasn't been through it before. Um, He's not a you know super high strikeout guy, but I mean he's he's uh, I think he was right about a strikeout an inning last year if I remember right. Uh, I'm not looking yeah. at the numbers in front of me, but I think he was. It was if it wasn't like nine on the dot, it was like right around that. Yeah. Um, per nine that is. Um, and so um, he's also you know really good at not giving up home runs last year. I think it was that and fielder independent pitching. I think was he might have led. The, the league or the majors in both of them. Yeah, he did. Yeah, best in baseball. So, um, so I mean, for the Cardinals, I think the big thing, at least the big thing you've heard uh, John Moselock talk about, um, was just the idea of you know they have being able to count on innings out of their starting rotation. Um, they felt like there was a trickle down with uh, the bullpen last year, where you just had too many starts where you know you you had your bullpen getting worn out too early having to go to it too often throughout the season um i mean i feel like there were you know especially early in the season there was just a lot of sort of non-competitive starts that they had and i think the they feel like that sort of impacted their bullpen throughout the season um so that's why like you know gray gibson lynn that group and the fact that they got it done so quickly, I think, was, you know, there was that was a definite sign of how they felt like things went wrong early on last season as far as um, the shortcomings of the starting rotation and how that trickled down to the rest of the pitching staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then off the field, I mean, I think, um, you know, like the uh, the story I wrote there talking with um, getting some insight from Rocco Baldelli and just sort of what, um, you know, who the manager of the Twins and some of what uh, – Oliver Marmol had to say about Sonny's personality and how they feel like it's going to fit in with the clubhouse and the staff that they have now. Um, he's just, um, he's one of those old school sort of like bulldog type guys, but he's also a guy who seems like he really cares about, um, you know, having an impact on teammates, on the pitching staff as a group. So um, it's just a, a one of those guys like, you know, a veteran guy that, you know, you sort of look, you probably expect him to be one of the, the leaders, at least in some effect, as far as the pitching staff and maybe even the clubhouse. Yeah, I mean, that's so cool. He, I, Everything I've heard about him is just like he's someone that loves baseball. He hates losing. He loves winning. Um, and he's someone that's going to impact your team, whether he's pitching or not. He's going to mentor those young starters. And that's something the Cardinals really need. They have so much, so many young starters who could all end up being really good at some point. Obviously, you've got Librator, you've got Zach Thompson, and then guys coming up too um, between Roby, Hence, McGreevy, Jerby. These guys are going to come up at some point during his time here. So that's very, very exciting. Something else about Sonny Gray that I've heard is he's he's kind of considered a student of the game. And I know we use that term a lot. Um, I would use that to describe Victor Scott, who just been on here tonight. He was getting into the science a little bit about what he's been doing. Sonny Gray is somebody that's always tinkering with his game. He's changing his arsenal year over year. Uh, last year, he introduced a sweeper. Or he didn't introduce it, but he started throwing it a lot more. Uh, he brought back his cutter. And, I mean, changing himself, redefining himself as a pitcher, it's worked really, really well for him. And even after years in which he's had a ton of success, like 2019, where he, I think, should have had much more Cy Young support than he got, uh, he ended up 
making big adjustments again, and it worked uh, in his favor. After a year like last year, do you see him continuing to redefine himself as a pitcher, continuing to make changes? Well, I think when it comes to some of those veteran guys, like they're always tinkering one um, because as you get, you know, I think part of it, you know, just from, you know, things you hear from different guys or just, you know, talking to different guys. I think part of it is, um, you know, as you get older and just, you know, you go through different changes, like, you know, maybe there's things that you realize you're getting better at or you're, you're getting worse at, and you sort of have to adjust. Some of it might also just be, you know, the league having so much, you know, uh, seen you so much and so much familiarity with you. Um, and I think those guys are just all always constantly sort of like tweaking things or um, trying to change up their look or, you know, realizing there's things that they get better at, or you just get, you know, different feedback from, from people. Um, you know, I think Sonny talked a little bit about, um, I think in that opening press conference about just sort of like knowing who he is as a pitcher. And I think, um, he didn't say it specifically, but I feel like some of that goes back to, you know, when he had sort of the um, a down period there when he went to New York. I think, you know, um, I want to say it was on the uh, the Foul Territory podcast you heard. Um, uh, I think it was Kratz was talking a little bit about that, about like, you know, some of the, the feedback he was getting from the pitching coach there. And, you know, I feel like, you know, just things that happen along the way, you know, change how guys approach things and then, that, you know, affects how they pitch and how they, um, you know, go about, um, you know, tweaking different things as far as how they approach the game. So um, I would expect him to, you know, continue doing that. I mean, I think, I mean, heck, in that press conference, I think it was um, uh, Benjamin Hawkman, one of our columnists asked him about things he could get better at. And he just starts taking the baseball and like showing grips and, and talking about yeah. well, like this and, and like, you know, just, yeah. so yeah, I, I don't think he's a guy who's going to all of a sudden just say, yeah, I'm done, you know, trying to change things up. I love a guy that's always honing his craft. And he, like last year, he threw at least six pitches 8% of the time, which is just like unbelievable to have such a large arsenal like that. You have a lot of guys, especially these days, um, that are trending towards just like fastball slider. Uh, so to have a guy like Sonny Gray who does all that, um, but when he's doing all that, it's it's tough for fans to know, like, what is his out pitch? What do you consider Sonny Gray's like best offering or his best weapon? And the pitch he's going to go to that people are going to know, okay, like this is where he's getting somebody. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I mean, having only seen him like, you know, here and there, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously yeah. he, he had so much success with that, you know, the sweeper or, um, if that's yeah. what you want to call it. But, um, so, I mean, but I think it's going to be a matter of just sort of, you know, um, the, the, you know, what, what's best for the situation and the matchup, that sort of stuff. But I mean, I'm not sure if there's one, but I know obviously coming off of last year, the sweeper is one that I think is going to be in the back of everybody's mind. So it'll be interesting if that's sort of the way he goes or if he plays off of that and something else becomes more effective because that's what people are looking for. We'll be interested to see. Yeah. And then this is my last question about Sonny. Sorry. He is like my number one offseason target. I am so excited. I immediately went out and bought a jersey. And this is probably a formality, but like as things stand right now, he's got to be the opening day starter and the game one starter in a playoff series. Um, I would guess opening day starter. I mean, I guess um yeah, that would be my guess. I mean, I don't um that yeah, obviously, you know, that's you know months away from us actually even uh, yeah. probably asking Ollie about that. And then playoff series. I mean, you would probably guess that too. Um, 
course, that's that's a whole lot of ifs and thens, and then also just you know things lining up because you might have to, um, you know, pitch guys on certain turn just to make sure you get in the playoffs. Or to, you know, I mean, I think if you're able to line things up as you want, then that would probably be the case. Um, I mean, they're going to open up on the road. I was going to say the only only thing I would wonder about. I mean, Sunny makes sense, and I don't know that they would it would actually be a question or not. But I just wonder if. Um, if it had been at home, whether or not there'd be any sort of like leaning towards, you know, a guy like Miles who's been here and who's sort of the, the holdover type guy who actually started last year when it was uh, took over because it was going to be Wayno, um, but it's on the road. So that's not really part of it either. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's a long ways away from opening day, but yeah, that would be my guess, I, I would say. Awesome. Oh, yeah. So um, I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, Hopefully, hopefully Sonny Gray is not the opening day starter. Sorry, Sandy, but um, I, I would like the Cardinals to add another starting pitcher. Well, you think Yamamoto is not going to start over him? Oh, yeah, he probably would. But we don't know yeah. if that's possible. Um, well, yeah, we just had Jim Hayes on earlier tonight, um, and he broke something down that's uh, – talked to Lars Newpart earlier this evening, and Lars Newpart told him that the Cardinals very much still have a chance uh, of signing Yamamoto, and apparently Lars has been, been pushing for it a little bit, so – um, do you think there's any any chances of the Cardinals acquire him or another uh, top tier starting pitcher later down down the road this offseason? So you're saying there's a chance, huh? That, that's where we're at. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't. I mean, I'm not sure how much of a chance I would say with uh, uh, Yamamoto. I mean, I'm, I I don't have you know specific um, information on that. I would say. Um, if what sort of has been floating out there about the the dollar figure makes you probably a little bit skeptical that, you know, if they're talking about upwards of a $200 million deal, um, whether that would actually be something that would work out, but I don't, I don't know for sure one way or the other. Um, I wouldn't necessarily count on it. I know, you know, even um, as recently as the winter meetings, um, it sounded as though uh, starting pitching, or adding another starter wasn't necessarily the on the front burner. Um, it sounded more like, um, you know, adding a relief pitcher was going to be the next order of business. And I thought that could happen, you know, fairly soon um, based on the last, uh, uh, the, the interview that uh, John Mosellock did on Sunday with uh, KMOX. Um, so I'm not sure that something like Yamamoto uh, is in the cards. Um and it's also interesting just uh, it's one of those things that's tough to gauge too because there's still so many teams that you know are looking for starters um when you think about you know the Yankees are still like going into the offseason they probably need to add multiple starters um the Dodgers have obviously added some um uh but of course you know Shohei's not going to pitch this year either too so um the Red Sox still looking to add starters um you know, the, the thought was probably the Orioles are going to look to add starters. I know they have some internal type options, but I mean, like, so there's still a bunch of teams out there that are um, probably looking to add starters um, and still haven't really seen a whole lot of movement on at the top of that, uh, you know, the high profile names. I mean, Nola stayed where he was, uh, Sonny, um, and obviously Glassnock wasn't a free agent, but there was the trade. But I mean, you still, you know, nothing yet on Snell. Uh, Montgomery, um, you know, it's uh, Yamamoto. Um, it's going to be interesting just to see how these things unfold. But yeah, I don't, 
I wouldn't say that the door is closed as far as adding a starting pitcher, uh, at least from what I can tell. But um, I don't know that Yamamoto's in the cards. But if if Lara says they're still trying, then I guess they're still trying. Yeah, yeah, and tr- and trying versus succeeding in a market of three hundred plus million dollars at this point seems like very different things. So we'll have to follow that and see what happens with it. Do you think there's a maybe more of a likelihood on the trade market than if they were going to add a starter. It feels like, especially if they're going to be potentially adding a bullpen arm or two through free agency, that they would potentially look to- more toward a trade for X starter, Dylan Cease, Jesus Cesardo, whatever someone's favorite name is. Do you think if they're going to add a starter, it's more likely via trade, or do you still think there's potential or equal potential for it to go through free agency? If I had to guess, I would think probably the trade route might be more likely. I'm not sure how likely. I would guess, you know, like I said, if I had to guess, I think maybe that's more likely. Um, But I also am not sure if that's something that's likely for them to do at, you know, right now they feel like they have to do or if it's like, okay, they're going to go forward with the group they have. And then as you get into the season, get closer to the trade deadline, they revisit. Um. I also feel like, you know, because people uh, sort of said, well, they, they they moved so quick to add those pitchers, but then thought there was more coming. I also felt like by adding the three pitchers they did as fast as they did, it sort of gave them a chance to um, be a little more, um, I guess, put them in more of a bargaining position as far as whether it's trade or free agency, because to me, at least, just look at it from the outside. If you go into the, like they were going into the offseason, said they need to add pitching, 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 had three rotation spots open. Um, and then whether you was talking to a free agent or a trade, um, whoever you're dealing with knows that, you know, they sort of got you over a barrel as opposed to now they feel like they can go forward with these three. They sort of have the, you know, can walk away from the table sort of situation now where they can hold out and, um, go forward with what they got. So um, I think that's, that puts them in a position where they can do, you know, either and still feel comfortable um, and don't feel like they have to give up something they don't want to give up to in order to make a deal happen. Um, so I think that's also, you know, part of that, uh, part of the, the, the importance of them getting those guys done the way that they did. Totally. And we saw examples of that last offseason on the trade market when they're talking to the A's about Sean Murphy or the Blue Jays about Danny Jansen and some of the crazy like Blue Jays wanted Lars Newbar, Brendan Donovan for Jansen and A's wanted reportedly like a Brendan Donovan, Lars Newbar for Sean Murphy. And that's because everyone in the world knew they needed a catcher. So they had to go the fifth year with Colton Contreras. So that's a really good point when they come back to trades now. They don't have to meet that asking price. They have their people in place. Um, we want to jump to a couple of listener questions as well as we're going through here. And so Jeff wanted to know if you noticed any big differences between covering an American League team versus covering a National League team. Um, I mean, nowadays with the DH, obviously, I don't know that it's that crazy different. I think for me, the biggest difference was just, you know, um, the teams that you see on a regular basis. I mean, like it's yeah. obviously, um, you know, whether it was earlier talking about the division that you see all the time or just, you know, the teams that you uh, probably saw some, I was going to say, if I'm trying to remember if I went to some ballparks that I haven't gone to before, but I don't know if I did this year. Um, Cause I think I'm only down to a couple now that I haven't been to. Um, uh, and I think there's a couple of them that I did not go to this year too. So, um, okay. but, 
I'm trying to think if no, I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't know if the differences I would say were really so much related to American League, National League, as much as it was the teams that you're covering, uh, the teams that you, you know, you were seeing on a regular basis. And then also just, you know, uh, more so just, you know, going from covering, you know, a Royals team to covering a, a Cardinals team. Um, it's probably more of a difference than National League, American League to me. Yeah, so I was about to ask that. So when you compare covering the Royals to covering the Cardinals, I mean, obviously you could talk about this team success is a big difference, and so maybe that's the biggest thing you notice. But is there anything even between availability or the way that the teams conduct themselves with information they give out? Like, what are some of the differences you've noticed from Kansas City to being with the Cardinal or covering the Cardinals now? Um, I think the one of the biggest things, uh, at least because I wasn't there. Uh, when they won, like when they went to the back-to-back World Series in 14 and 15. Um, so I've, when I was covering Kansas City, it was after that. Um, but in uh, so far here in St. Louis, the biggest difference probably is going to be just the fact that, you know, like they, a lot of, you know, whether it's fans or whoever, you know, like a lot of, a lot of the atmosphere around the Cardinals is they're expecting to win. I mean, like in, in April, it was already getting rough, you know, like when, you know, it, when things were not off to a good start. I remember, I, I think it was, yeah, it must have still been April one time we were in the clubhouse in Bush talking to um, Nolan Arenado, and he was, he even said something along the lines of like, you know, it could, it feels like you're, you know, things get way out of hand early. And it wasn't, I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember the exact quote, it was something like, you know, basically acknowledging that like you can feel the pressure early on because they got mm-hmm. off to a slow start. Um, and I don't remember that being something that I noticed in Kansas City. Um, definitely not in that way, at least. Um, just at least from my perspective. Um, and then uh, as far as just the, the day-to-day stuff, um, I think every place is a little bit different. I'm trying to think if there's like a big difference. Um, I think, and part of it was also probably because I covered the team for as long as I did, but like, you know, um, Dayton Moore was the head of the baseball operations in Kansas City. Um, probably talked to him more than I, and I guess us as a group probably talked to him more um, from what I remember at least than we probably have with Mo. But um, yeah, that's, I'm trying to, I, I couldn't put a number on how many times we talked to Dayton because Dayton was probably a little bit more informal sometimes. Um, and then also just the, the rest of the front office too, whether it was, uh, JJ, who now is, uh, JJ Picola is now the, um, head of baseball operations with Kansas city. Like when he was an assistant GM or, um, uh, at one point he was the GM under Dayton, this baseball operations guy, like just interacted with him probably a little bit more than, um, you know, some, some folks here, but again, part of that might also just been cause I've been around longer and had gotten to know them a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I'm, there's probably some other things I'm not thinking of right now. But I'm, those are the things that come to mind, at least uh, at the forefront. That's awesome. It's really cool to hear about that. Um, you mentioned going to different stadiums and like I put this in the chat. I'm embarrassed to admit this. I've only been to one stadium to actually see a baseball game, which is kind of crazy. I've only seen a game at Bush. I've been inside Tropicana, but I didn't see a game there. It was for like some Christmas thing. It was really weird. Um, <laughs> but I was wondering like, what what are your favorite stadiums that you've been to, and then what is what are the couple that you haven't been to? I guess. Um, 
So of the ones that I haven't been to, and I keep forgetting what the like. Every time I try and list them, I, I always feel like I'm forgetting one. Um, but I know a couple of them are actually in the divisions. So, like I still haven't been to um, Milwaukee yet, and I still haven't been to Cincinnati yet. Okay. Um, Milwaukee's and, roof might cave in at any minute, they say. So I'm pretty scared <laughs> of that place. <laughs> yeah, those those are two of the ones that I've, I've never been to. Um, I think up until this year, I had been to Philadelphia, but I hadn't actually been there for a game. So yeah. I think I was there once a bunch of years ago. Like I, I went, I covered a series there this year, so I definitely seen games there now. But um, years back, when I uh, worked in Pennsylvania for like a little less than a year, um, I did a lot of minor league baseball. But the guy who covered the Phillies, I think, had just come back from like uh, a long road trip, and they'd been working like you know like two weeks straight or something like that. And so they had draft night, and so they had me go cover draft night. So I was there in that. Um, ballpark but there wasn't a game it was actually uh they drafted mickey moniac with the first overall pick that year i remember that um draft night that was the only time i had been to that ballpark until this year um and then uh dodger stadium which they'll open up next year um so that should get knocked off the list as far as places i've never been to um at the beginning of next year um that might be it. Uh, I want to say, because I hadn't been to Colorado until like uh, the last year in Kansas City, I think. Yeah, I hadn't been there. Um, San Francisco, I hadn't been to until like a couple years. I think it might have been that same season. So I think it might be down to like three or four. This is where I always feel like there's another one that I'm missing. I haven't been to but, you know, without looking at the full list. Um, and then, sorry, My, one follow-up. Oh, follow oh, yeah. Okay. Is there any? Is there any stadium that you like? Don't like going to? I mean, yeah. I feel like the Coliseum's <laughs> not great. Tropicana's not known for being great. What's your like least favorite stadium experience? It's okay to say Wrigley too. Um, I don't know if there's one that like I just don't like going to. Um, Tropicana is actually really easy as far as like a media standpoint to get to where you need to get to and get there quickly. So that part is like functionally, that's really good. For whatever reason, every time I go there, I just always look around. I'm like, it doesn't feel like a ballpark to me. Um, (laughs) So like it just, yeah, for what I mean, and and it's, and it's not just the indoor thing. I don't think, I think, I think that's part of it, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't feel like a ballpark to me. Um, the indoor thing sometimes is a little bit weird, but like, I don't, I don't get too weird. Like when I've gone down to Houston, uh, I think I've to remember if I've been there with the roof open, I think the roof was open like after a game, but I don't know if they actually had open for a game that I've been down there. Um, been to Arizona. Um, those ones aren't the new Texas one was kind of weird, not bad, but like I remembered walking around the first time I went there and feeling like, there's parts of that place where you could be walking around like on the concourses and stuff like that and almost not feel like you're at a ballpark like or like, you know, not realize you're at a ballpark because you can be sort of so removed from where the actual playing field is. It's like they put this playing field in the big in the middle of this big like sort of like small type thing because they got so much stuff on the sides and they got meeting rooms and, co- and like conference rooms and all this sort of stuff. You actually walk around there. So um, but um 
But yeah, I don't know if there's one like I say that would just be like, eh, I don't like going there. It's yeah, just yeah. Um, different feels to different ones. And I mean, um, like the first the first one I ever ballpark I ever saw a baseball game at was Fenway. So that's kind of cool, just because like I know that's one of those ones that like it it didn't really hit me until later on that like that's one of those ones that people that you know is on the sort of their list that they want to go see. And, and it's like, well, that was the place that like you know because I grew up in Massachusetts where I would go see if I was going to go to a big league mm. game. Um, Wrigley, I'd gone to a couple years ago, and I didn't cover a game there until this year, but I did see a game there, uh, probably in 2018 or something like that. So, yeah, well, yeah, we want to respect your time. Oh, go ahead, oh, Andrew. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I've, been, I've only been to two stadiums to games, um, St. Louis and Toronto. Um, so Toronto. I mean, I guess next time people next time people track my flights there. But um, I've also been inside <laughs> the team's Vegas stadium. But uh, yeah, um, hopefully I, I plan to knock off Dodger Stadium at some point this day, uh, this season because uh, that's uh, I always have to go see Shohei. So according to Morosi, oh. Andrew's going to sign a big deal. Oh yeah, oh, I mean yeah. I was actually Toronto <laughs> at some point. So um, unlike Shohei. Yeah. Um, yeah. I kind of thought you were going to go to the Dodgers to watch Justin Turner or something. I didn't realize it would be Shohei. No, actually, I'm going to the I'm dude. going to the game against the Reds. I'm going there to watch. They have a really exciting shortstop prospect that I'm really excited for. Oh. I, I hope he's good. Like I don't know. I, everyone says he is. So. <laughs> Ellie, uh, well, Lynn, thanks so much for hopping on, man. We just appreciate you joining us and all the insight you had with this. And so, um, good luck with the rest of the off season as well. And we'll be following your coverage as the season begins as well. So, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Thank you so much of for course. joining us. Thanks, Lynn.